0: Uh, one thing I've always appreciated about you is that you're very wise. <laughs> um, <laughs> you have a lot of wisdom. Um, so I think your former students recognize that as well. And a certain former student by the name of Clemente uh, wanted to ask you or would like you to answer for other students too, from your perspective, um, what's a major challenge for today's generation of students and leaders and specifically thinking in the context of like finding purpose and fulfillment in life.
1: Oh, you guys ask such hard questions. To find purpose and fulfillment in life, I don't think that depends on whether you're today's student or yesterday's student or tomorrow's student. You know, we all want to find fulfillment. And it's not always that easy to find because your wants and desires and interests change throughout your life. And I think that's a good thing. Again, when I when I was working with colleagues or with younger people like you, Tess, coming up, I would always think, you know, if we can show our students if we can help them have confidence in themselves and help them find a sense of purpose and that's tied to that passion. What is the thing they love doing when nobody's making them do something? To me that's that's the avenue to purpose. And once you combine confidence with purpose. You end up with motivation. And that will lead you to to fulfillment, I think, or that's as close as as I can come to a formula. Um, But again, fulfillment changes throughout one's life. Um, You know what I was doing in all those years at the university. Is certainly not what I'm doing these days. And so, you know, for me, I've been in a transition trying to find that sense of purpose and fulfillment. And it was, it has been a bit of a struggle because my sense of purpose was so tied to my career and, and young students. And that's not the life I'm living, especially now through pandemic. So I've had to really search to, to find how to be fulfilled in a new chapter of life. So that's, that's ongoing.
2: Talking about passion, you're an educator. And I think as an educator, you would want your kids, friends or the kids of your friends to go to college. Your son took a different path and he's an amazing chef whenever he wanted he made the decision of becoming a chef what was your advice to him and is that the path that you wanted him to take
1: well as a parent you know i i imagined college as his path and he did go to college he was a jazz trombonist and a very good jazz trombonist um here at k-state um and I I loved that fact because I loved music and and uh, I I was quite happy with the idea of his being a a jazz musician. But in his probably senior year, I don't know, maybe even his junior year, he started working at restaurants around town um, for money while he was in school, and I began to see that his interest was was developing in a different direction. Eventually, he, he interviewed at a couple of well-known uh, culinary institutes on the East Coast, one in New York City and one in Vermont, and decided to go that direction. And as much as I tell my students all the time what they should and shouldn't do and try to make their decisions for them. um, I'm half joking there. Um, I was very hands off with my own son and trying to tell him what to do. I believed he had to find his own path, but then I tried to be supportive of it as as he developed it.
2: Okay, now I wanna ask, both of you guys, this question. But before I ask that question, I wanna share a little story about what happened to me at Kansas State, or maybe not Kansas State, but Manhattan Kansas. When I was a student at Kansas State, I was walking with my then girlfriend, Rita Perez. Uh, we live in the library. Um, we love spending the time in the college library because we could get a lot of study done. And I remember this being a Friday night, it was like eight or nine, Uh, we were walking back to our apartment and then all of a sudden we are really close to our apartment and the apartment complex right next to us we start hearing voices uh, shouting at us saying go back to your country and all of a sudden we start seeing these shadows run up to us um, and I immediately put myself in front of her um, because I didn't know what was going to happen. Obviously my heart was Uh, rapidly beating. And and I was just afraid for Rita. I didn't want anything bad to happen to her. Um, Luckily, the guys that were running up to us, they said, hey, I'm sorry, my friend is drunk. And I don't don't know why he's saying those things. We don't know where you guys are from. um, So please forgive us. We went to our apartment. And I was really disappointed. I didn't know what to do. I felt helpless. And now my question to you guys, I know that you guys are big advocates about helping minorities. And do you guys think that Manhattan and K-State is doing as much as they need to do in order for these things to stop happening? And this is not a question from me, this is a question from one of your former students, Victor Salazar.
1: Well, I don't know whether Tess can answer that very comfortably. Since she is in the system right now, um, and it's hard to it's hard to talk about those things, I suppose. When one's trying to work on the inside, it's a struggle, um, and it's not a straight line. I mean, as long as I've been around K State, and I'm sure long before, you know, it's been a struggle. And there are times of advancement and times of of less advancement. I guess um, all I can say is we've got a long, long way to go. I I feel for the students and the struggles they're going through these days. I it's because it's not it's not they're feeling it at k-state but they're seeing it on the social media they're seeing it on television it's just all around them all the time and it's it's just so such a burden to carry all of the time and yet going and sitting in a classroom and you're expected to you know make good grades and do this and do that and represent and it's a heavy load it's a heavy load and i sometimes think that Some faculty don't get that. Um, Some administrators don't seem to understand it. And it's just a heavy, heavy load sitting on the shoulders of the students. I don't know how to fix it. I don't have those answers, but I wish that, I wish that K-State, I don't know, Because I'm outside of the system now, I don't really know what what's happening there in terms of, you know, administrators talking and plans to move things forward. Um, But there's a, a a lot of work yet to be done. I think that the university would benefit. By more administrators from diverse backgrounds, and more administer, administrators of the diverse background who are from diverse, diverse backgrounds. Um, there's just a long a long way to go. I'll leave it at that.
2: Thank you. Well, one of the reasons it was because Victor mentioned it. And another thing why I wanted to mention it is because I really love this blog. Um, I I think you started that blog a few years ago. And I since then, I have enjoyed reading it. Um, I think that PhD, your PhD has kept you a little bit more busy because I haven't seen as much writing. Um, but can you tell us a little bit about the blog and why you started it?
0: Yeah, thanks for calling me out, Jorge. I, it has been a while since I've written <laughs> my blog. Um, and it's always in the back of my head, too. Um, but yeah, I guess building off of what Anita said in terms of, um, you know, like what what needs to happen to change systems, something that I'm really passionate about is storytelling and the the types of stories that we tell and that we hear. Um, So I'm gonna get to your question about the blog, I promise this is going in that direction, but um, when we think about progress as being made at K-State, I, as someone, if we think about like racial equity, um, that can be really difficult for me to answer as a white person, because I don't directly experience these, these moments of feeling, Unwelcome. Um, but what I can say is that from students I've worked with and talked to, it seems that there's still a lot of work that needs to be done um, because of stories that they share. So, similar to the story that you shared, Jorge, you know, these stories aren't commonly heard and they get drowned out really easily by stories that we tell about the K State family, for instance. That narrative, um, while it's not untrue, can, can work to cover up those stories that need to be heard um, to really make progress. And one thing that I've really heard a lot from students um, this year working with students from underrepresented backgrounds is kind of adding to the comment Anita made about the burden is that they feel the responsibility to, to lead that change. And while that's great experience for them, they also feel like this isn't why I came to college. (laughs) I didn't, you know, I didn't come to college to fix K-State's issues. Um, I'm trying to get my degree. Uh, So, you know, an added feeling of responsibility because they don't want other students to experience what they've experienced at the same time. So all that to say, um, I started my blog because I was hearing these stories from students Um, from racially underrepresented backgrounds and just becoming very, not only like so much more aware of the issues of the world that I had previously been, um, sheltered to not aware of, um, and wanting to share those stories with other people, but not only those stories, but, um, what, what also happens, I think as white people is that we don't share stories about our privilege. And so um, because it's meant to remain invisible so that nothing needs to change, we don't share those stories, then um, it's hard to recognize as as white people were meant to remain oblivious to the system itself that benefits us. Um, So that was kind of the goal with the blog is to not necessarily share stories that students had shared with me, but to share my own reflections of, how their story sort of inspired my awakening to white privilege and how that can inform um, the changes that need to be made in our systems to be more inclusive.
2: You honestly, it makes me really happy. Do you mind telling the listeners how we can find a blog?
0: Uh, that's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> I should probably know how to access my own blog. Um, so, I think if you just type into like Google exposing privilege white insight, (laughs) um, it's found on WordPress. Um, So I think, yeah, exposing privilege, white insight, it should probably bring it up that way.
2: Perfect. Thank
0: you. I would
1: would like to add um, a comment that came to mind while I was listening to Tess I was having a conversation with uh, a friend this past week around all of the, the racism and trials and what have you that we're seeing on television the last couple of weeks. He was making a comment about how we use the word essential these days. We all want to feel essential in life, but since the pandemic, essential has come to mean something different. The rich are no longer essential. They can stay home. The essential is the person who picks our food and, you know, runs the grocery store register and does all these tasks that we non-essentials don't have to do. The word essential has been turned upside down. And it occurred to me as we were talking that we think of racism, I think of racism now as essential racism is essential because without racism people don't feel comfortable abusing other people but if we're racist we feel okay abusing other people because you know they're they're less than and Abusing other people is the only way we can get the upper hand. And if we don't get and keep the upper hand, then we no longer have the upper hand. And that was just, that was a conversation I had recently that <sighs> upset me to even even think about it. But But that's it just a little
0: insight.
2: Thank you for sharing that, I like it. It's a new perspective to think about.
0: Yeah, and I think too, you know, so much of that happens on a um, subconscious level that, mm-hmm. you know, white people get very challenged hearing, hear, probably listening who, you know, identifies as white, that might be very challenging to hear um, because we tend to associate practicing racism or being racist as being bad people. Um, and so I, I like to challenge white people to to think of that differently and to recognize that we have been socialized in a racist system that we've been breathing this air that that is filled with racism and the messages we've been receiving um, and to start to challenge those, you know, our understandings of the world that we have on that subconscious level and the ways we have create our um, sort of received messages that have caused us to label different groups of people as inferior. Um, And the ways we act out on those, those biases without maybe even recognizing that that's what's happening. Um, It's hard work, but I think it's really important and essential. Um, Exactly. Yeah. Can I
2: add one more thing to that? I think that diversity and inclusion has become also uh, this trendy word and trendy thing to learn or to pretend that you're learning, but some people are just using it as something to do. Um, Sharon or my wife was invited to this diversity and inclusion committee, her being the only minority in that diversity and inclusion uh, committee. And the leader of the committee asked her, or was saying, Hey, why don't we invite professors or invite speakers to talk about diversity and inclusion? And we can learn about it, we can read a book. And Sharon said, Well, that sounds great, but why don't we just start with acknowledging our own bias or our own internal bias before we can even move forward? And the response of this person was, Well, Sharon, that's really touchy. And I don't think that we should start there. And right there, the only minority in the group got shut down. So there's not even diversity on that group. And there's whatsoever no inclusion. And so I think that one of the things that we need to think about, it's good that people want to explore these topics and that they want to do something about it. But they should actually inform themselves before even starting something um, because at the same time they're shutting people down and making the situation worse than actually helping it. I was angry this week as you can tell.
0: I think it's a great point. I mean too often I think we think of diversity and inclusion work is external work and it's really internal work. Um, Our beings make up the external, I mean, in addition to policies and, and all of that, but I feel like that internal work has to be done first, like you said.
2: And there's a, Harvard has a internal bias test that you can take and they have a bunch of different tests that you can tell and find out the internal biases that you have. And I think it's good to actually just take one just to see if you have any biases. And you'll be surprised. I have taken many of them and it's like, wow, I did not expect that out of me. And at least it makes you think, hey, at least think about your actions because even if you don't think that you have biases, you have them. Mm
1: -hmm. Those are good tests. Um, And I would say too, you know, Put yourself in experiences with other cultures and other people and things that you're unfamiliar with because until you experience it and allow yourself to be introduced to a new situation, even if it makes you uncomfortable, that's really the best way to begin to to
0: learn. I could talk about this all day, but um, Anita, I hear that there's, something about a book in the works. And you can share a little bit more about that with us.
1: Well, I have just um, on the side for, for many years, like to write. My degrees were in poetry. Um, but over the years, I, I sort of left poetry and started writing essays. And um, But never got around to doing anything with them. And as I was saying earlier, you know, with the pandemic, I've had to sort of reimagine uh, or transform who I, who I am um, and what I do in this chapter of my life. And one of the things I, I decided to do was to compile the essays and see see what I had and I put them together in a book and I've done some editing and what have you. And never really thought that, that uh, I would get them published. I was just going to put them together, did put them together to share with family members. And I uh, shared a copy of my manuscript with my old boss. Steve Dandineau and unbeknownst to me he had a friend in publishing and he passed my manuscript on to his friend and I one day I got an email uh, from this press wanting to know if I would be interested in publishing the book and I didn't take it seriously at first, um, but as I began to explore it and talk to him further, it, it seemed like a good opportunity. And so I'm in the process now of, of meeting deadlines and putting things together. And the book will um, come out in March of 22.
2: Congratulations. <laughs> and I'm so happy that you're busy. Um, yeah and I'm glad that someone is putting some deadlines on you (laughs) is there one specific story that you are excited about
1: oh I don't know you know I see it as a whole I mean it's it's um I haven't decided for sure about the title yet I'm playing with the title but the the book is about my journey one woman's journey toward identity, and I say toward because, as I say, that transformation happens throughout your life, and so it's um, exploring that identity, having grown up in northern Wyoming, lived on Guam, lived in Kansas, and it's just looking at that time um, and, and how it has shaped the person I am. A lot of it, because it's Wyoming, a lot of it is is based around ideas having to do with hunting. Uh, it's a, it's a sight of me. My Kansas students don't know much about it all, <laughs> but it's about it's about searching and hunting, sometimes literally and sometimes figuratively. And a lot of it is about life with my dad and how he taught me to see and to think from his artistic perspective and longer perspective on, on life. It's not a very good synopsis of it at all. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm you would probably is. be
1: interested in it, Jorge, because there's a lot about veterinary kinds of things in it.
2: Um, I mean, for the audience. I cheated. I have read part of what Anita has written because she gave me a little book um, last time I visited her.
1: I gave that to you? Yep. (laughs) I didn't remember that. Put that
0: down. Wait, did you? You didn't give it to me.
2: She only gave it to the special people. So we have one more question, and I think this is one of the biggest ones that we have here from your former students, and this is pretty much to conclude our episode. Um, how do you achieve a perfect crust on a pie? And this question comes from Clemente Hakes.
1: Tell me that again.
2: How do you achieve a perfect cross on a pie? <laughs>
1: And the question is
2: from, (laughs) I guess he knows your pie.
1: He doesn't know my pies. You achieve a perfect crust on a pie by assembling the ingredients in a bowl. As you mix the ingredients, you listen to the voices in the kitchen that come to you from your grandmother, your mother, you begin to envision the way your mother patted the dough with her hands so that it gets just the right texture. And you can feel when it's when it's there because too much patting of the dough will make it tough. You have to feel when it's just the right texture and then you roll it out gently and then you put it on the top of the pie and then you crimp it carefully with your fingertips and that makes a perfect crust. So it's, it's generations of knowledge that go into that. Clemente can't feel, do it.
2: Let's I was see. just about to say, you just made it impossible for a lot of us to make <laughs> a perfect pie.
1: <laughs> it takes time.
2: <laughs> well, Anita, thank you so much for joining us today. Tess, thank you for co-hosting. You are amazing.
1: <laughs> and
2: we're gonna be sharing your links for your blog. and. If you want them to follow you on Instagram, do you have an Instagram account?
1: I guess. I do. Okay.
2: Okay. Well, I'll be sharing all this information, but again, thank you so much.
1: Thank you for having me. Thank you for putting up with me. Oh, we
2: love you. We love you. We we can put up with you for a long time. Bye. Bye.